The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. You know, it's a new skill. We're all learning, friends. We're all learning, and I'm going to learn how to, you know, can it. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will recap the amazing FETC conference, chat about the interview opportunities we've had recently, and our guest this week is the amazing EdTech blogger, Audrey Waters. What a week. It was a fantastic week. I'm still trying to recover, though. Super long days, late evenings. Then super long days again, and then travel. It's, it's funny. Some someone asked me today um, that I work with, um, you know, how much I have a lot of fun. I was like, yeah, I had a lot of fun, but I mean, don't get me wrong, it's work. Like we worked a lot. Like these, the, this conference was busy, and anyone who was there and saw us could see that we were we were working our butts off pretty hard there. We we, but it was awesome. Such a great time. Got to hang out with all of the the fun people that we've hung out with in the past and connect with them and and see them all again and have ice cream and mm. and you know it was a, it was a really good time we I, I i speaking for me i really enjoyed myself it was uh it was pretty awesome i had never been to miami and it's yeah. beautiful and warm and so different than minnesota in january mm. um and yeah, it was you almost just- didn't make it home too yeah, it was yeah, just crazy weather, but like always. Um, and people were amazing. Uh, the people that we got to spend time with, obviously, at the conference itself, too. Food was phenomenal. Man, I couldn't have asked for more. And, it, I, and we pack it into such a short period of time. I mean, it was four yeah. days, but my goodness, it was a long four days. I mean, we really extended those four days out. And I, I pinch myself still to think that, you know, we were at a party at an education conference that was hosted or paid for by Epic Games. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something else. Like, that's how far we've come in, like, the games-based learning, video games and education kind of realm that, that Epic Games is is in. Um, it was pretty exciting. That was a That was a pinch myself moment. Like, is this really happening right now? Uh, it was it was pretty cool uh, to experience and yeah awesome week we have tons of interviews still to release uh, we did thirteen I think thirteen interviews um, they're all going to come out as on education presents um, we've released four right now as of recording uh, the Merrills who just released a book uh, who else um, Tom Murray. Mm-hmm. Who else have we released already? Oh, um, no. <laughs> Put the pressure on me. A <laughs> couple others. It, it's been very, very good. And we have, um, you know, uh, Monica Burns, Christina Ishmael uh, to come, um, and and so many, so many more. Uh, Desiree Alexander, who was absolutely 
phenomenal. Um, just such a great, great week talking to awesome people. It was uh, uh, awesome too that we got had the opportunity to speak to people we've never actually spoke to. I mean, Monica Burns, we've we've yeah. obviously spoke to her in the past um, and had her on the podcast before, um, but we've had we had all of these new people that we just had. Uh, the opportunity to be able to bring them to our audience too. So we're excited to bring them to you and their voices and their passions and what they're doing as far as in education. So that's really an awesome part about these conferences and why they're so important is all of the, all of these people are in one place at one time and we have the Mm -hmm. ability to be able to reach out to them and, and then to spend a little bit of time with us so that we can share their voices with you guys. And there was a lot of amazing things. There was, there, there's some podcasts where I was tearing up. That's how good some of these episodes are. So yeah, stay tuned for some of those episodes. Make sure you listen to them. There's some fantastic uh, messages and some amazing stories that people are sharing Um, and just inspiring things. And then some practical things too, as far as being able to uh, connect to resources and those types of things. Uh, So a little variety platter of all of those. Totally. As an, as like only as a slight aside, I mean, we know from the numbers that the on education presents episodes get a little less downloads than the the regular our core for one a week episodes. Friends, these these aren't like conference centric as you may think. Just because we're at FETC doesn't mean that's all we're talking about. In fact, we talk very little about the actual conference. Um, we definitely um, these are very core interviews similar to the interviews we do on the regular podcast uh talking about uh talking with inspiring people about what they do what they do and how they do it uh it's just that we're lucky that we get to be there when everyone else is also mm-hmm. there um so we'd encourage you to go back and listen to the to the four we've we've released um and you know stay tuned because we're going to be releasing them basically one or one a day or one every other day for the next you know couple weeks and we have this episode out so uh there's there's lots lots to listen to and lots to enjoy and share um we should do you know now that FETs is over there's and and impact is over the updates is list is a little bit shorter but it is worth noting that we did do make a big announcement just before literally just before we left for FETC we made a big announcement um that we are now putting out a bunch more content on YouTube. Um, the the bests, which is a second the second segment of our regular show, um, has been video basically recorded for the better part of a month and a half. Um, so we put all those together, um, and and now they are singular kind of episodes on YouTube. And we've also launched a Patreon site, and I wanted to talk just a quick second about that i don't want to spend a ton of time on it but i did want to draw people's attention to it's patreon.com slash on education and the reason why we did this um we want to sell less ads is really the the punchline for all of this we have slots to sell ads to 
you know, earn an income. We we make money from this so that we can go to FETC. That's literally what we use the money for. And and then last year we used it to buy the equipment that we're using there. We're not lining our pockets and certainly not getting rich off of it. Um, what we want to do is be able to go and and do live shows and 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 talk to educators at conferences, um, and that costs money. Um, but we also wanted to put a stronger focus on, you know, on the content. And that means wanting to sell less ads. So we were hoping that by creating a Patreon site, we could ask our listeners to support us instead of asking for companies to support us. Um, so, you know, go check out patreon.com slash on education. Um, you know, what we're doing there is releasing basically full video of the episode. So you're watching, uh, if you're watching on Patreon, you're seeing me right now on video because we're recording it on video right now as we speak. Um, and we hope that that we got a lot of other kind of benefits and stuff like that too. And, and I really hope that this resonates with people. Um, FETC, we've talked about, hey, we... We've been on some podcasts, not as um, not being the interviewer, but being the interviewee. Uh, I just listened to an awesome podcast with you on the P3, the personal playlist podcast. I just listened to it this morning, and it was fantastic. It was all Spanish music, man. (laughs) (laughs) How was that experience? uh, It's actually like I told... uh... Noah Daniels, I think is her name, yeah. uh, who yeah. does this podcast. I said it's such a fantastic idea. The concept, yeah, as far as the the podcast itself, where you you choose three songs, basically an inspirational song, a throwback song, kind of represents you, and it kind of an uh, uh, I can't remember what the other one was called, uh, but what it forces you to do is like narrow down your choices to these three songs that kind of represent who you are. And that's super hard. <laughs> totally. To do. Very hard. Um, I ended up you, going. You used with, the word intimidating, and I think I yeah. actually used the word intimidating too. I, I actually would say, I mean, and I had uh, actually other songs in mind too. And I ended up going with three songs in Spanish, <laughs> which I don't know how it's good for the audience or whatever it might be. Uh, but it, it, it actually was an interesting just the self-reflection as far as looking at that and kind of just thinking about what actually does fit with uh, who you are, what you've been through, et cetera, yeah. uh, and kind of what pumps you up. So it's a fantastic idea. I was also on this other podcast. I actually recorded this past summer, but it just recently came out. They do a, a bunch of recordings of stuff and then put them out you know, every so often. And it was for the Central Minnesota Libraries Exchange. And myself and my colleague, her name is uh, Steph, we were interviewed about kind of like what our job is as media specialists and how that's evolved to mean all kinds of other things. Um, and that also, I listened to that today and it was, it came out super fantastic. They did a phenomenal job on the editing and they did a phenomenal job on the sound quality. So very happy to, uh, and, and humbled by the opportunity to be on those, on those podcasts. And you were on a few too. Yesterday morning, drinking my coffee and uh, Mike Matera slides into my DMs. He's like, yo, you want to be on my podcast today? I'm like, like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Yeah, totally. I I love Mike Matera, and I would 
I would be on well played any chance that he asked. So mm-hmm. I, I recorded well played with uh, Mike Matera uh, yesterday. Um, so that should be out by the time you're listening to this. It's probably out. Um, and then later this week, I'm on the the, the Juggernaut, um, the 10 minute teacher podcast with Vicky Davis. Uh, this podcast gets uh, a lot of people listen to this podcast, or at least that's what I was. I was told, um, and, and Vicky Davis does uh, a great job, and um, so I will be. I, I joked with her that um, a lot of my answers for one question take ten minutes, hmm. so um, I don't know how I'm going to be on a ten minute podcast. <laughs> I it really be was, brief. <laughs> I'm going to have to be very brief. I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to have to. You know, it's a new skill. We're all learning, friends. We're all learning, and. I'm going to learn how to, you know, can it, I guess, (laughs) for lack of better words. Um, I I wanted to complain a little Hmm. before we moved on to to what's next. I I don't know um, if anyone else is feeling like this. Maybe this is an interesting chat question for on education, uh, for chat on education this week. Um, But I'm having a real hard time getting going after christmas break like with the bike with the exercising and the getting into the habits and you wouldn't believe how many times people ask me hey mike how's the book going and i'm i'm like yeah the book's going terrible but thanks for asking (laughs) It's, it's like no it's not going well i haven't done anything on it in like four weeks it's terrible um i'm having a real hard time getting back into the swing of things and i'm curious uh you know do you have trouble adjusting after being off for a long time getting like even like coming back in september well i guess for you guys it's august but also um you know after christmas break because i'm i'm struggling man struggling hard i would say it comes and goes i definitely agree with you actually i think the worst for me is after these conferences. Mm. Um, so now it's been back-to-back months of conferences with Impact and now this one. Yeah. And But I'm making a concerted effort starting tomorrow because it really took me like two or three days to even just not be a zombie um, mm. and to get back into the groove of that. But starting tomorrow with uh, going back to work tomorrow and then getting back into, like you just talked about, exercise and those types of things is super important. Uh, I was super happy to get out into the sun uh, out in Miami because I think that that also has a big effect. You live up north too where we just don't get enough sun in our lives during the winter. Mm. I think that has something to do with it too. So I I Mm. get that seasonal uh, affective, you know, those kinds of syndromes and stuff. I believe in that just because of how lethargic we kind of get and 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 you know drainage of energy and you just don't see the sun very often uh puts you in weird moods so yeah no i could totally i could totally see what you're talking about i came back from fetc pretty motivated though so i've I've exercised two days in a row now and um i think starting tomorrow i'm gonna get i'll you know i'll crack open that google doc and 
and get my my butt going on writing this book and nice. getting getting rolling with that again. Um, it would be nice to get back into the swing of things and and really feel like you know uh, I'm moving a bunch of this stuff forward. Um, you know, because the podcast is going super well. Uh, we we will just for side note, we'll hit our we'll have a record month in January. We just don't know how big the record month is going to be. It will be our best month ever. It's already by the time you're listening to it. It'll be our best month ever. So thank you for listening, friends. Um, you know, we're going to absolutely destroy our best month. Uh, we just don't know by how much yet. Um, so that's unbelievable uh, as well. Um, so speaking of unbelievable, when when we come back, mm-hmm. um, the bests, except for this week, uh, we're switching it up a little, and we're talking um, about six of the worst EdTech debacles of the last decade with our special guest, Audrey Waters. So stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that bring your code to life. There's no soldering or wiring required. Simply plug in a Fidget sensor, write code in your favorite language, and watch your ideas come alive. Fidgets are used by thousands of STEM professionals globally and are now available for computer science students. Simply go to Bitly Fidgets on Education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's Bitly Fidgets on Education. Welcome back to On Education and welcome to The Bests. Every week, Mike and I take you through a list of our top things, from books to games, from people to ideas. And this week, we're mixing it up a little bit. This isn't the best. This is the worst. Uh, A decade-in review of some of the craziest ideas, controversies, and unfilled promises in ed tech in the 2010s. And we're thrilled to be joined on the worst today by the great Audrey Waters, whose article, The 100 Worst Ed Tech Debacles of the Decade, is out now. Welcome to On Education, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me. First off, I mean, this article is amazing uh, in every way. I mean, I think it's one of those great articles because there's so much in it that, like, there's things that people don't agree with. There's people, and you can agree with things like super strongly for one thing and disagree strongly with other things. It it evoked tons of emotion and passion. I, I'm sure the feedback that you got was out of control. The feedback has been wild. I mean, it was actually one of those things where I couldn't use Twitter for a while because just the amount of um, of people of you know strangers strangers yeah. talking to me was was overwhelming. I got a ton of emails, and though some of them were really funny. I mean, it's a long it's a long piece, and yeah. people were were um, some people were said I should have said more. Mm. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I said plenty. Um, people wanted, people wanted, you know, people had additional, you know, here's the mm. 101st, the 102nd. Sure. And so it's been, it's been overwhelming. But how I mean, many, like, how many, yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. How many ed tech CEOs or former CEOs rolled into your DMs? Uh, wow. You know, I got, to... you know, I, what's funny is I got a text message from a venture capitalist. But I was like, okay, dude, how do you have my number? That's creepy. <laughs> um, oh, they boy. have the numbers. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I guess so. Right? Um, so I haven't, 
a couple of CEOs, but uh, the venture capitalist uh, actually texting me was uh, was a sh- was a shock. Unbelievable. And the, just before we get going, the other thing that was super funny was people complaining that you didn't write a 100 best list. And your responses to that were were priceless, um, to say the least. Like, you, you don't owe people anything, first off. And, like, I mean, it was just... The, the 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 request the begging like why can't you be more positive audrey and all that nonsense was just stupid for lack of better words it's just crazy what a yeah. what a piece yeah i mean it's it is funny I, it, you know i feel like here we are many of us also, i mean i'll speak for myself i've worked in or adjacent to educa- education technology for over 20 years now mm. if we still it in in 2020 need feel good stories about ed tech, then I feel like we're doing something wrong, right? Mm. Either we know that what we're doing is good, um, but I don't see why I have to validate people's, you know, validate people's feelings about the careers that they've chosen. I work in ed tech. I mean, I, I I struggle with it too, man, but I'm not your, I'm not your priest. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So we have six. We went through it. We each probably read it at least five or six times. Um, and, and I went through it again today just to make sure I was still. Cause, so, so backstory, friends, we've tried to do this for a couple weeks now, and we've had some 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 issues connecting. Uh, so we've had this kind of queued up, and, and people are getting excited to hear it. So we're excited to talk about it. So what we got is we got six items from the list. Uh, Glenn's grabbed three and I grabbed three and we're just going to name them off and then we're going to talk about them a little bit because uh, they're, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty hilarious. Um, so I'm going to start with the, the first one here. And my, my first one is actually pretty far down the list. Uh, rich people's kids don't use tech and other stories about the Silicon Valley elite. And, and your quote here. Uh, I, I mean, it's. I get this one completely because I think that this is the media just going nuts about wanting to talk about what rich people do and poor people don't. And uh, I mean, it's just another example of them versus us kind of thing. And, you know, they make all of this stuff and then they don't use it. And the other thing I thought of related to this, and maybe you can even speak to this because I think this is related, is that they built all this stuff and they know how addicting it is. And then they they decide not to use it um, because they know that they've made it into something that is even in some cases dangerous. Uh, so yeah, number ninety eight. Rich people's kids don't use tech. What yeah, do you think? This, this story always. Whenever I see articles like this, and there you know there were there were plenty of them in the past decade. I think famously the story that Bill Gates didn't let his kids have a cell phone, and that. Steve Jobs didn't let his his have iPads, and those feel like they're anecdotal. Um, and yeah. I, I feel like it's. I mean, for one thing, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I have to imagine. I think the the reasons why many of us give children, even increasingly younger children, a cell phone um, is so that we can stay in touch with them um, as a parent in case of in case of emergency. But I'm trying to imagine a scenario where Bill Gates' children are ever alone without security, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. and bodyguards and 
nannies and private tutors. And so I just feel like it's a, it's just a really different set of, a really different set of circumstances. Um, but yeah, I, I get really tired. I think towards the end of the decade, we started hear, hearing more and more stories about from these executives saying that that they recognized that the technology was dangerous and awful and they wanted to help us understand how to better use it. And to mm. me, that was just sort of grossly offensive. I mean, you, you put us in this predicament. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't trust you one whit to get us out of it. Like, why, why would we turn to Silicon Valley if we're facing problems with how tech, how we're like, it's, and it, that it's how we're using tech too. Like mm-hmm. it's our fault. It's our fault where, you know, we all spend too much time on Instagram. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's totally our fault. <laughs> One of the ones that caught my eye right away as I was going down the list, and there was a lot of things that caught our eye we were going down, is uh, this concept of online credit recoveries. Um, yeah. Every school that I've been a part of, and, I, and this is 20-plus uh, years now into teaching – um, has had some sort of program, especially here recently, that's associated. And I read down the list of Odysseyware and Apex and a whole bunch of other companies that have made uh, a lot of money, mm. a lot, a lot of money on the concept of being able to offer a way to recover credits and really, honestly, to recover credits very quickly. Uh, usually, quickly. usually in the evenings or in the summertime in a two or three week period, you're covering a whole semester's worth of content. And then, uh, and, and why would schools ever let this happen? Someone might be asking themselves, like, why are we doing this? And really you, you were right on point as far as all of these things about rating schools, you know, A through F, uh, all of uh, some monies are even associated with this as far as, uh, graduation rates. And so we want our kids to graduate. So we find ways that people have sold us to, to be able to kind of backdoor them in to graduation. And we have alternative schools actually here in Minnesota, uh, charter schools, I'll, I'll call them, that are 100% set up with these kind of companies. Mm. And what kind of diploma are you getting You know, with these types of uh, – and I, I've, I've experienced the software itself and it's not that good. It's pretty horrible, it's not, actually. It's bad. not entertaining. It's not good. It's it's uh, it's bad, and I, I just I I found it compelling. I knew we needed to go ahead and talk about it. Can you talk a little bit more about it? And what you found as far as this? Yeah, there was a great series of stories that Slate put out where they investigated. They had um, I think five or six stories in the series where they investigated these online credit recovery programs. And I think you're right. I mean, I think schools are under a great deal of pressure to have to improve their graduation uh, rates. And it's understandable that that um, that they want to do something. But when the answer is to put students, particularly some of the most vulnerable students in these courses where they are not getting any human attention often, it really is just you know go work in the corner with a with a digital workbook really and at the you know at the end we'll say okay that counts mm-hmm. um it's it's i think it, it's so indicative of how we fail to invest in people mm-hmm. and instead we talk and i think that that's that is a theme that runs through so many of these debacles is that we've decided that we're going to invest in tech 
and yes. solving our problems. And these are hard problems to solve, right? Sure. But we're going to invest in tech and not in people. And instead of the support services that students need for for a variety of reasons, students struggle and fail classes and aren't going to graduate on time. But instead of supporting students, um, we throw them into these classes that are um, really quite egregious. And actually, one of the one of the companies in this list, I think, was involved with a bribery scandal of an Alabama state legislature. I mean, Man. it's just it's just shady um, mm-hmm. from top from top to bottom. And I think it's you know I think it's indicative too of the ways in which. I think, you know, back to the earlier the earlier example, the ways in which often affluent students have a very different experience of technology than do poor students mm. and students who are struggling. And I think it's it's really egregious that, that this is the kind of tech that that we are schools are schools are paying for. Am I am I right to suggest that this doesn't seem like something that's going away anytime soon either like like this is getting worse not like like it's not like audrey just like called these guys out and it's stopping now like this is getting it's getting worse right i think i mean i think that that's what's so unfortunate about a lot of these things and i think that that's something another theme when i say we're not investing in people i mean that we're not investing you know we are we have decided schools both at K through 12 and higher ed have really outsourced a lot of their responsibilities to mm-hmm. for-profit companies who are offering these solutions. And, yes. you know, I think that that's, unfortunately, I think that that's the way in which many, many of schools functions. And these are important functions, right? That the function of, of getting a student graduated, sure, but getting mm-hmm. them graduated with a quality education is also part of, part of it. And I feel like we're, we're, I don't know, we're really dropping the ball. So in the, like, Glenn and I don't disagree on many things, um, to be <laughs> honest. Um, but but this one actually is probably in our top five list of disagreements, or at mm-hmm. least maybe misperceptions of what each other were saying when we were saying them. And I, I okay, so I, <laughs> we're going to talk about, <laughs> it's funny just thinking about it. We're going to talk about interactive whiteboards for a minute here. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, after ISTE 2018 in Chicago, I, I might've caused a bit of a, um, I don't know. I was going to swear there for a second, but uh, a Twitter thread did not go did not go well. Um, where I kind of bashed interactive whiteboards and smartboards uh, pretty hard, and I still, I, I mean, I, I guess so. My position, and I think that you kind of talk about this a bit too, um, is that it, it's it's not that I necessarily have a problem with the technology, even though it's incredibly expensive and you can go buy a 60-inch TV for, for $500 now and do a lot of what you're doing on a whiteboard, you know, that is $5,000 from Smart. Um, but the fact that they were sold as this thing that was going to revolutionize your classroom, that teachers weren't going to be at the front of the school any class anymore, that students were going to be the center of the learning by using the whiteboard. None of that happened. Almost like, <laughs> like, favorite. I mean, I can, I can say it pretty like 
in my experience, anyways, and I know there are anecdotal experiences where this happened and it was great. I'm sure I'm going to hear lovely stories about their kids on the whiteboards. Bring it. Let's go. But to be honest, uh, I, I, I tend to agree that, you know, interactive whiteboards were, you know, one of the ed tech disasters of the last 10 years. One of my favorites, uh, our favorite arguments that I heard, and I think it was probably also from an ISTE exhibit hall, when the uh, the salesperson touted that they were interactive and that students could actually check themselves in in attendance in the morning, and that showed the you know Johnny moving their name from absent yep. to present. And I, know I thought who still do this? Teachers <laughs> have been have had mechanisms of. Johnny checking into the classroom since the very first school decided to take attendance. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, really overselling this idea that technology is, is, is creating new opportunities when really it's actually just selling you a very, a much more expensive way of doing the same old thing. Um, And so for me, I've, I've, I find interactive whiteboards to be, pretty uninteresting. I find it really fascinating, though, that one of the reasons why they saw such a decline in popularity was the argument that every student should, that every student should have their own device. And so, you know, I wonder, I don't know what the difference is between what school districts are spending, to be honest, getting a big white screen in front of the room or, you know, 35 little screens in front of each student. So I don't know if they're, if the money, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's more expensive. What I was going to say too, Audrey, is we were just at the FETC conference and the main, one of the main sponsors of the entire conference was Permithian. So Permithian whiteboards, as you put there, it's still a humongous uh, business. business, even till today. And we have tons of schools that have shifted, like you just said, to one-to-one devices, um, who knows if that's actually a better practice? My my argument with Mike was basically 10 years ago when these came into our classrooms, we didn't know what 10 years would end up happening and bringing, which is good that we have this article here to tell us like, hey, look at all, the, <laughs> look at all this stuff that actually happened, but that there's a bunch of teachers who did try to do the best that they could with those things. And those were district purchases. Those weren't teacher purchases that were made. Right. Those were district purchases that were made in an investment. I don't know if those, those, like you just said, should we have just invested in that mon- those monies into people? Yeah. Probably. Probably. That's a lot of the things on a, this list is like, should we just invest load, in people? You know? A truckload of superintendents got sold hard, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah I think. I mean, I think so, and I think that it's. I mean, I'm always fascinated by, um, you know, by these things that seem to sweep, you know, sweep across district decision making, mm-hmm. um, and because I think that it is important to recognize how much of this is really outside of a classroom teacher's hands. What mm-hmm. you, you know, what you end up with. Um, I think the other piece of it is that these companies, you know. Often they come with a, and I think the same is true for for iPads too. But they come with a certain set of software, a proprietary proprietary software on them too. And sure. so mm-hmm. your hands are really tired, tied. Whether you have a big a big screen or a little screen, 
your hands are often really tired, tied with the software, with the software that comes on it. And so this idea, you know, this idea of, of revolution, um, <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> so I think we should go out to this next one. Cause I think it's one of the most controversial things on this list. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those things that's going to blow up the internet, which I'm so happy to do right now. <laughs> and, and what it is, it's actually number six on the list. Um, and it says everyone should learn to code. Oh, yeah. and, and, and Mike and I have had all kinds of discussions about this. Mike being a computer science teacher, uh, an advocate of, of coding. And, uh, I was just questioning a bunch of different things just because just to be the devil's advocate, you know, um, and we've been sold this concept and I was listening actually to a recommendation by you, Mike. To Andrew Yang, as far as I was listening to him speak about coding and kind of this concept of everyone learning the code and even uh, shifting the shifting of job professions to coding to coders. Do you know what I mean? This this myth that's being sold out there that we're going to have truck drivers that are going to be retrained and they're going to become a coder and they're still going to be able to, you know, live the great life, American dream or whatever it might be. And he, his argument, Andrew Yang is like, this is not, first of all, there's not that mm-hmm. many jobs of those. Second of all, that's not those people's, we don't know if that's the, their passion and want to go in and do those kind of things. Third of all, we don't know if we can just train somebody to just drop in and be a professional coder. It's not just that, you know, that easy. Um, and anyway, as far as schools are concerned, you were told here that we were told there's a massive skills gap. Uh, too few people have studied science, technology, engineering, or math, and employers can't find these skilled workers in these fields. So teaching everyone to code is somehow going to you know, move people into these professions and then suddenly get the USA back on top or Canada sorry, Canada, back up on top as far as, uh, you know, in, in this profession itself. So I thought it was a great topic to at least have a conversation and really to ask you questions, uh, you know, just your thoughts more than anything else. You know, I, I think it's, I mean, one of the things that I find so fascinating when, when you hear these, something like STEM suddenly become such a priority. Um, and I actually learned this year it, it, that, before it was STEM, it was SMET, science, hmm. math, edu- engineering, and technology. But I guess they thought STEM, STEM was better. <laughs> but that's a strange con- um, set of, um, of disciplines to wrap together. And there's a pretty interesting, a pretty interesting history about how that, kind of came to be. And I think that it's important and also to to connect to it too, is that um, that in order to get uh, uh, a visa, um, the H-1B visa that a lot of tech companies uh, use, there's actually priorities for STEM and certain fields have actually renamed themselves. um, Certain schools certain uh, departments have renamed themselves in order to become mm. more STEM. So, for mm. example, economics departments, ha- um, economics is not listed by Homeland Security as a STEM field, um, mm. whereas econometrics is STEM. And so okay. uh, several, several universities have renamed their department econometrics um, because they're able to get more money 
and able to get more visas uh, for for students. And so it's hard to see some of this stuff as just, I mean, I think this stuff is deeply political and mm-hmm. it's generated by a lot of industry, um, a lot of industry influence. And I think it's always important whenever we hear these kinds of narratives to stop and think sort of who's behind them, who's funding mm. them. And I think the, you know, the, the everyone learned to code, the code.org push is really an, it's really an industry, it's really an industry push. Um, and I think it's, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that sort of the, the coding stuff is, is, it's not that it's a, it's not that it's a superfluous skill. I mean, there's mm-hmm. lots of... I was going to say, um, like, is, is this really a bad thing, though? Like, I mean, teaching kids I, to code? So I think the problem is that the the, the problem... We, have a, we already have a problem with, with curriculum, right? It's hard, like, something's got to go, right? Mm-hmm. And we've already decided, I guess, when, when we decided to prioritize standardized testing in English or in lang- uh, language and, and math, that art was going to go and that music was going to go and that in some places, you know, PE is going to go. And I, I worry that when we, when, that, you know, what, what, what do we, what do we get rid of in order to spend more time yeah. with, uh, with coding? Yeah. And and you were saying, Audrey, too, I, I wanted you to expand upon this. What do you, uh, to what end is, are these companies pushing the coding? Do, what do you think? I mean, as far as that, because you said something is behind this kind of movement, this, the concepts and then the code.org. And, and I mean, everybody's got free coding sites of some sort or another. What do you, what do you think the, you know, if we were going to say, okay. We're following they, the like, money. Where's yeah, the money like, going? Yeah. Like, well, what is, yeah, what's to what purpose? Because I actually would like to, you know, hear your, hear your idea. I think that this, I think that it is an effort. I think it is really a powerful effort to kind of reshape what curriculum looks like. Mm. And I think again, um, I know that the in ooh, no, maybe I don't know. I believe it was in Alberta, for example. Um, the oil industry really worked hard to reshape what the curriculum looked like for environmental studies. And I think we would look at that and be like, oh, hell no. I'm sorry. The, mm-hmm. Why should the oil industry get to tell us what we teach in the environmental studies classes? That seems like um, a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. I, think that, I think that having industry tell schools what the curriculum looks like um, is, is not a good idea. I think that, uh, I think that particularly for, for democracy. And I think that these, these companies' vision of what coding looks like is very branded. It might be really different than um, than what we might think of as sort of a as a sort of non-branded, non-industry supported introduction to computer science or mm-hmm. introduction to computational thinking. But once once Google decides that it's gonna it's gonna you know give the um, you know lay down the outline of what the curriculum looks like, you can bet you're not going to be learning things that, for example. Microsoft is interested in its programmers learning. Um, mm-hmm. So you see, you kind of see the divisions yep. there between. So you know, Apple's really interested in people learning Swift, for example, so that you can sure. build an iPhone app. Um, that's that's a. That, I think that that's that's 
really different than giving people foundational knowledge that they can move from programming language to programming language or have a working understanding, broadly speaking, of uh, of computing. Hmm. And it's, I think it's that, funny, and, actually. Oh, go ahead. It's fun. It's funny that you mentioned stuff like that because um, Google created this whole digital citizenship curriculum um, in the last year and a half or two years. And there's not a whole lot in it about like the ethics of advertising and the the, <laughs> the ethics of search and data like money. where your personal data is going, you right. know, when you do Google searches and like um, what, you know, when you say, you know, okay, Google to something, you know, what, you know, what's being recorded. There's not the a role like, of YouTube. The, the, those, and the are downfall like, those are of like critical yeah. digital citizenship <laughs> conversations yeah. that, that aren't being had in, in, in a curriculum that is, is otherwise very good. And I think teachers, including like I've used that curriculum, but now that I reflect on it, I'm like, you know, they purposely omitted some stuff or at least didn't like get into it because that's them they would be talking about right so i think you're bang on about stuff like this right i think that, i mean and i i'm glad that you brought up the the google um the, the digital citizenship um curriculum of google too because i think that it is incredibly important that we better equip students to navigate this information society Right, mm -hmm. and I I'm not sure that knowing to code is as as is is the key to that. I mean, for one thing, I know a lot of a lot of computer programmers who are as ready to share fake news on Twitter as you know people in other fields. I'm not sure that being a, a computer programmer sort of equips you to be um, sort of to sort of read and understand the way in which information works today. And I think that that to me would be what I think is, is the priority. And certainly you're never going to see Google offering um, good lessons on that because they're absolutely implicated uh, in for Facebook. They're absolutely implicated yes. in the sort of mess that we find ourselves in. I saw a Facebook education website the other day, and I was like, what's Facebook going to say to me that I can take seriously? I um, heard Facebook, a person from Facebook education once say, and I think that they were riffing off the Apple thing. You know, Apple says education is the core of our DNA. And Facebook said, the Facebook education person said that um, that Facebook is the, what was it that they said? Facebook is the... The, core, the the founding the founding moment of of Facebook was 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 it about education and I thought just because you were built in a Harvard dorm room does not mean that the foundational yeah. moment of your company was, <laughs> yeah. was I don't think Facebook should be teaching us digital citizenship <laughs> lessons like let's steer clear friends yes. not happening oh my god i saw that website and i'm like what i didn't even know this was a thing and i'm glad i don't but i can't wait till they try to do something so we can tell them where to take it because the other thing uh, sorry just to add on the yeah. everyone should learn to code is i think that i mean it's not something that I, I i feel as though we need to do a much better job globally thinking about not how to prepare kids for the jobs of the future, which is this weird, weird thing that you hear 
um, mm-hmm. people from the you know World Bank talking about. But I think we need to talk, think about what the world looks like um, with climate change. And again, I'm not sure that we can sort of gadget our way or, or you know, JavaScript our way into um, a, a better um, a better environment for the planet. And I think that I think that we just need bigger thinking than everybody. Um, everybody should learn to code. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I love this term, this Uber for education term. <laughs> um, it's it's gross on a couple levels, but I, I'm actually I, the, what got me thinking about this one was what who's. It's almost like a bingo card, and I, I want to start a bingo card on who's going to say it next. Uh, and like, where, where's it going to come from next? I, I feel like there's a room in the market and I've only because I've, I've been part of conversations about it, about, you know, someone start, and this is actually a legit, you know, a moderately legit comparison, or at least the analogy holds up. And that's, um, someone doing basically a teacher's pay teacher's competitor, but free, um, you know, and the only thing stopping that from legitimately happening well is monetization. It seems like Amazon tried it. I think that's actually one of your things. Yeah. Uh, is Amazon trying to distribute free resources? But like you could, like someone, some executive that starts this is going to be like, we're the Uber of education because we're crowdsourced, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I, it's it's actually not playing very well anymore because of the problems at Uber either, right? So, right. Um, I, I mean, this this kind of fails thing. on a couple levels, right? It's so funny that when you you sort of can tell, I think sometimes that Silicon Valley uh, executives and certain um, certain members of uh, the president's cabinet are grossly out of touch with reality when they sure, use yeah. phrases like Uber for education. Um, because I, you, I think that most of us ha- have, have learned a long time ago that, that Uber was um, built on predatory practices. And I think it's very difficult today to say that, that this is a good idea. Um, mm. And that sort of, but to sort of, to me, the, the part that always really burns me about this, too, was that when Uber then in turn turned around and said, we're the Uber for education because we have so many teachers working, oh. um, working for us, driving for us, <laughs> which, so you know, makes me want to poke my Terrible. eyeballs out. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, we talk a lot about, uh, I, I mean, I, I live in Ontario uh, and teachers get paid a lot up here and, you know, uh, and then in like Louisiana, you, you can work for 15 years as a teacher and make 30 grand a year. Um, it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the inequities of teacher pay are just mind blowing to me and my family. My wife's a, a teacher as well. Um, and, and so the idea of teachers being Uber drivers makes my blood boil. Um, it's it's awful, and so to to analogize anything with Uber right now is probably not cool, right? Hopefully not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we talked about coding. 
uh, and that's a hot topic, but this one is even hotter, I think, uh, because I know tons wow. of teachers, including <laughs> the teachers in my district and the previous districts that I've ever worked at, that heavily use Google for Education. And actually, Google for Education was one of the biggest vendors, again, at the FETC conference and is at ISTE and it's humongous and there's books about Google for education and so on and so forth. And you write here, but at what cost comes free? And basically the concept of what is Google doing with all of that student data <laughs> that it's actually acquiring? We're just giving it up to them freely. Um, and and what can we actually do about it? Because we're we're heavily dependent on it now. I mean, we're we're living in this ecosystem. All of us uh, that live within this Google uh, ecosystem, we we do everything inside of it, um, and it's free. <laughs> and you said, but what, what cost comes free? So it's really crazy how we've just said, well. They can't really do anything that bad with this stuff. Um, <laughs> talk to us more about that. <laughs> It is amazing to me how it's, it's amazing to me how beloved Google is. I hear people invoking all sorts of things to sort of, we'll be more like Google. We'll give students 20% time. And I'm like, well, you know who does not give people 20% time any longer and hasn't since like 2011? Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, or, or people say, you know, at Google, they don't look at your they don't look at your transcripts and it's like well no shit they just only hire people who go to Stanford. I mean, you know. it's, I it's that, pretty easy. Uh, you graduated <laughs> from Stanford. I actually know who you are. They, Come work yeah, for us. They, well, they actually you just go across enough, the water. They have a class. They have a class in the CS department at Stanford that mm -hmm. that teaches you how to do well in the Google interview. Right. Mm. So the, that symbiotic wow. relationship, again, between education and industry, that's worth our thinking about, you know, who are we working for here? Mm. I believe that education should work for the public, right? Not for a particular corporation. Uh, Google is, I think, I haven't looked at the statistics recently, but Google is certainly one of the, um, one of the companies that that spends the most in Washington, D.C., lobbying to get its way. And certainly the way mm, yeah. what Google wants are regulations uh, or sort of little to no regulations on the use of, of data. Um, under the Obama administration, there were a couple of rewrites to some of the privacy legislation that deals with students and children's data, and they were really softened to make the case to make it sort of um, easier for companies to be able to sort of say that they, you know, they, they work for the school, therefore the, the data is rightfully theirs without any kind mm -hmm. of consent or, or notification. Um, wow. How do we get, how do we get, you know, how do we disentangle ourselves from Google yeah. is a really, really, really hard question. And I think that particularly once you, once, once your district has made a decision that we're not going to spend money running the email server anymore, right? We are going to, again, we're going to outsource that to a company and it's free. It, it is really, it's really hard to claw that back and say, mm -hmm. actually, uh, we need to put this line item back in the budget because, um, 
because we're gravely concerned about not just what's happening to student data, but what's hap- how Google is not a good steward for what I said earlier for for the sort of information that hmm. that they you know their mission is supposedly what organize the world's information and make it useful. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Their mission is to organize the world's information so that they so that we click on ads. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's the ultimate. <laughs> that is. That's it. I was just thinking about how entangled we are. You just said email. We are yeah. very entangled there. We have unlimited drive space as educators. It's one of their perks. You know, you can actually put as much as you want into a yeah. Google Drive uh, folder or you know uh, whatever it might be storage. Unlimited amounts. So we're all just we're we're basically addicted to this free service and we're willing to give up, you know, this precious information, um, by, from, uh, students who are not even of age, we're giving them their information. So it's, it's crazy. And like you said, I don't know how, what's the out on that. And I don't know what could be the end result of having had done that. Yeah. Audrey, yeah. Go, go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, this is, this is the thing with so much of this too. I mean, and this is again, back to one of your first points. So I was so reluctant to sort of come up with a list of great things about ed tech is we have, we have put ourselves in a position where we have, we have so much work to do to fix the mess we made. And I think mm. in, in almost all these cases, with some exceptions, we thought we had, we had the best of intentions, right? We thought we were being mm-hmm. innovative. We thought we were adopting these products because they would make uh, school cheaper, faster, more efficient. Students would be smarter. And really what we've done is we've exposed students personal data. We've, we've completely hijacked what the knowledge or the, the computer industry has hijacked knowledge. Um, mm. And it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess. Well, on that positive note, <laughs> I mean, this is called the worst for a reason, friends. I mean, it is what it is. This is what we're here for. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us on this thank special you. Thank you. special episode of The Bests that we're now calling The Worst. We're, we're going to link the full article in the show notes. Can you share with everyone where they can go to connect with you or to read your work? Yes. Uh, you can find me on my blog, Hack Education, which is hackeducation.com. I'm also uh, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Audrey Waters, two T's. Although I shouldn't be on Twitter because I'm working on finishing a book, um, mm. which should be out next year um, wow. from MIT Press. Oh, we'd love to have you back on. Well, I was just going to say, I hope it's not another 10 years when I get come back to review (laughs) the next 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 decade. decade. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, So audience, you can always come back to this segment of the best by checking out our blog at oneducationpodcast.com or watching it on YouTube by Google. Uh, just search on uh, for On Education and check out the playlist. Uh, Want to support us on, on Education? Check out the Patreon site at patreon.com slash On Education. Thank you, Audrey. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. 
Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. Want to support on education? Visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash oneducation. There, you can get access to full videos of the podcast and so much more. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. It helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening, stay awesome, and see you soon.